Mark chapter 15, I will be reading verses 1 through 15. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Thanks be to God for his holy word this morning. As we consider our text this morning, we find ourselves soon after Jesus is tried and falsely accused by the Jewish council, made up of the chief priests, scribes, and elders, as they found him guilty of blasphemy. Their sentence was death since blasphemy was a capital crime. But they would run into a little problem. See, since they were under Roman rule, the Jews did not have the authority to execute anyone. They had to seek permission from the Roman authorities. And this was most likely the topic of discussion between the chief priests, elders, scribes, and the whole council that Friday morning. Because they couldn't bring him on the charge of blasphemy, because that would be according to Jewish religion. Why would Rome care about that? And plus, that may have caused an uproar among those who disagreed with the charge. So how were they going to convince the Roman governor that this man was deserving of death? You could only imagine what was being discussed as they were ready to do and say whatever it took to have Jesus killed at the hands of the Romans. You're probably thinking to yourself, what evil, what justification did they have to put him to death? Well, you see, they had many. See, Pharisaical religion was corrupted by Babylonian pagan religion. And this is evident in one of the primary texts that the Jewish leaders relied on for religious instruction and they often contributed to, which is called the Babylonian Talmud. If you ever have a chance to read the Talmud, you'll notice it is full of justifications for many grievous and heinous sins. 
including pedophilia, rape, adultery with non-Jews, allowing your neighbor to starve, racism, the list goes on and on. It sounds like our society today. You can say Satan himself had a hand in writing this book. Included in these sins is that the Pharisees were allowed to put anyone to death as long as it is done indirectly. So the blame wouldn't be placed on them. Now here come the Romans and how they would be manipulated to play their part in this scheme. And you could imagine as they were considering the Talmud, Jesus, the word of God in the flesh, the one who brought them the truth of God and the truth about their sins was standing there silent as he has been waiting all night for what was about to take place. He was there as a lamb prepared for the slaughter. And it says they bound him and led him away. Now, uh, this was all for show. Jesus said earlier when they came to arrest him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? You see, he was willing to go. Jesus willingly gave himself over, yet they bound him to make him seem more dangerous than he was and to help persuade Rome that he was indeed a threat. Then they delivered him over to Pilate. This was to fulfill what Jesus told his disciples, that the Son of Man was to be delivered over to the Gentiles or the non-Jews. This was also to fulfill his role as the scapegoat from Leviticus 16. On the Day of Atonement, Aaron was commanded to present two goats. One goat was slaughtered for the sin offering to make atonement for the people in the tent of meeting, while the second goat was presented alive. It says this, And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness. Notice where the goat was sent. Outside the camp, outside the temple gates, into the wilderness, away from the people of God and the presence of God, as a sign that God has removed their sins as far as the east is from the west. Jesus, the one who bears our sins, is figuratively sent outside the camp, away from the people of God and the presence of God, delivered over to the Gentiles as a sign that he is going to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. Later, he would be crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem, away from God's presence and temple. This is why the author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Because not only is he our scapegoat, but to the Jews, him being delivered over to Pilate, delivered over to the Gentiles, is another way of saying that he is cut off from the presence of God and the people of God. This is one way that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us as he was handed over to the Gentiles. In John, it says, even the Jewish leaders would stand outside the governor's headquarters out of fear of being made unclean. This, for the Jews, was divine judgment. 
Now, who is this Pilate character? Pilate was appointed as the fifth governor of Judea. He was governor from 26 to 37 AD. To be appointed governor over a conquered land such as Judea for this long period of time, 11 years, was a sign of failure, not success. He was not known as a great leader of the Romans. This would be his most well-known achievement, if you want to call it that. To his shame, his name would be remembered in the Apostles' Creed as the one whom Jesus suffered under. He would later be fired from his post and kicked out of the government of Rome by Emperor Caligula. So you wonder why Pilate was known as a harsh and stubborn man and who did not favor the Jews. But at times, you also get a sense that he had some conscience and he knew how to reason. He was able to make judgments in cases brought to him and see through manipulation. We will see some of that as we go on. So the Jews delivered Jesus over to Pilate. But what was the accusation against him? Luke's account records this. And they began to accuse him saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. If there was anyone doing misleading, it was not Jesus. In fact, Jesus told them before to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So in other words, they falsely accuse him of treason. They accuse him of being a political criminal. They accuse him of going around saying that he is king and not Caesar. Now, he did say he was king. But he did not say, do not honor Caesar. Peter would later follow Jesus' example when he tells Christians to specifically honor the emperor. Who was the emperor at the time? Nero, the persecutor of Christians. Jesus never taught rebellion. Later, as they were urgent to have him crucified, they would cry out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now, this is coming from those who actually wanted Caesar deposed. To say the least, These were false accusations coming from a group of hypocrites. But Pilate begins his own interrogation. He wants to get to the truth. This man seemed quiet and reserved. He didn't seem like a loud, treasonous man claiming to be king. So he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you have said so. Now our first thoughts when we read this text may be, A bit misleading based on the way the sentence is structured. We may interpret this to mean, he was saying, I guess if you say so. But no, that was not his response. It was more like, bingo. You got it. You said it. That is exactly who I am. In John's account, Jesus is in uh, Pilate's headquarters and Pilate asked the same question. But Jesus would build on this statement that he was indeed the king of the Jews by adding that his kingdom was not of this world. It is different than Caesar's and it is governed by different rules. So neither 
Caesar nor Pilate had to worry about their current worldly positions. He wasn't there to overthrow Rome. But in fact, and at the same time, he was saying that he was indeed the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that one day, long after Caesar, Pilate, and Rome are long gone, all kings will bow their knees to him when he returns with his kingdom. But not yet. In this world, he had to go through suffering and death first. Because he was a king of another world. A king his own people didn't want. Let us remind ourselves of this when we suffer for Christ's sake in this world. Our kingdom is not of this world. So then the chief priests would accuse him of many other things to help ensure that he was put to death. While Jesus was standing in front of them, hearing all of the accusations, Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So that Pilate was amazed. Jesus here is not only revealed to be the king of the Jews, but those who were witnessing this, those who knew their Old Testament, should have picked up on the fact that this man was also the suffering Messiah of Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And Pilate was amazed. He was amazed at such grace. He was amazed that Jesus was at peace. Jesus was at peace with what was about to happen to him. He was at peace in doing his father's will because he entrusted his life to him and he knew what he had to do. Now according to Luke's account, Pilate saw no guilt in Jesus and once he found out that he was a Galilean, he sent him to Herod, who had jurisdiction over Galilee. He too found Jesus to be innocent and sent him back to Pilate. Neither of them found anything in Jesus that was deserving of death. But the Jewish leaders were adamant. So Pilate would try something else. See, it became a custom that every year during the Passover, Pilate would release one of their prisoners. And it says that the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Now why did he ask them that? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. See, Pilate was keen on what they were doing. He saw through their manipulations. He saw through their evil. It's ironic how a Gentile outside the camp who does not know the truth, yet he sees the truth of their evil. While those who have the truth, who possessed the truth in their Bibles, didn't see the truth standing right in front of them. And they didn't see the truth of their evil ways. Beloved, this is the danger of owning and reading a Bible and yet go on 
and make justifications for all of our evil ways. That is the danger of misusing our Bibles in order to make justifications for our evil ways. But Pilate tried to get himself out of such a bind. He wasn't just trying to save Jesus, but he was also trying to save himself the trouble of condemning an innocent man. In Matthew, even Pilate's wife would warn him that he should have nothing to do with this righteous man because she had a dream about him and she suffered much because of him. Also, he saw the reason why they wanted him dead. It was out of envy. Remember, Jesus was very popular at this point. Their authority and leadership had come into question since Jesus was around. But beloved, this has been the pattern of the people of God over the centuries. This has been the pattern of Israel over the centuries. Whenever God appointed and sent someone into their lives with his word, God's people would reject his rule. Think of Joseph and how out of envy his brothers plotted to kill him, but instead sold him into slavery, all because he was Jacob's beloved son. And he foretold that one day they would all bow to him. Sound familiar? How about when Israel envied the nations and told Samuel to give them a king like theirs? And the Lord said, they didn't reject Samuel, but they rejected him. They rejected God from being a king over them. It's funny today how many Christians say they want to go back to the good old days when Christians and Christian pastors were respected. Folks, this is where we lack in our knowledge of history. Back in the 1800s, I was listening to a historian speak about this, and he said how there was recorded history that says there was common persecution of pastors across the U.S. There are accounts recorded of elders of churches who would line up in front of pulpits uh, facing the pastor, And they would wait until the moment that the pastor would say something they didn't like, like preaching the word of God. And once he said it, they would escort him out of the pulpit, send him outside, and the congregation would proceed to go beat him up. So the point he was trying to make is that the people of God have always rejected God's rule to some degree. And he was also making the point that we have it pretty good today. But the list goes on and on of God's people resisting God's rule. This is nothing new. And it was all out of envy. And this is what we see in the chief priests as they stirred up the crowd. Now this crowd was most likely mixed with those who walked with Jesus in his triumphal entry. And a more radicalized crowd who was influenced by the Jewish leaders. Also, consider that there could have been up to two million people who traveled to Jerusalem for Passover. So this crowd would have been closely tied to the temple. And they wouldn't have appreciated what Jesus said about the destruction of the temple. 
Also remember, by this point, the temple was not only a religious symbol, but also it was a political and nationalistic symbol. This was the pride of the Jews. So with all of that in mind, what was this crowd's response? We can say that Pilate's plan backfired. As it says, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Notice how easy it is to manipulate people with a so-called better choice. We see that a lot going on in our nation today. But who is this other choice? Barabbas. Who is he? Well, we know he is a murderer and a thief, according to John 18. But we often get this idea that Barabbas was just like any old criminal. We often see this in the movies. He was like this barbaric guy, lacking conviction, no sophistication whatsoever. But he was much more than a murderer and a thief. He was a political prisoner. This was just what the crowd wanted. It says this in verse 7, And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. So he was part of a rebellion to overthrow Rome, similar to the zealot movement. He was a nationalist and a rebel. He was someone that people would write books about or movies about today, calling him a national hero. And whoever he murdered was most likely a Roman with government ties, maybe a soldier or a politician. Now this text is filled with irony. For one, this is the same exact crime that the Jewish leaders were falsely accusing Jesus of. But Barabbas was actually guilty of the crime of treason and murder while Jesus was innocent. They lied and said that Jesus was stirring people up against Caesar and Rome, while this man Barabbas was actually part of an armed struggle to overthrow Rome, and he killed someone in the process. Was that at all part of Jesus' ministry? I think not. Another irony is found in his name. Both tradition and the Greek manuscripts of Matthew 27 tells us that Barabbas was not his first name, but his last name. His first name was also Jesus. And his last name, Barabbas, translated to son of the father. So they had a choice to make, you can say, between two Jesuses. Jesus, Barabbas, son of the father, or Jesus, Bar-Joseph. Bar means son of. Jesus, Bar-Joseph, the son of Joseph, the true son of the father. So who did they choose? They chose who sinners always choose. Because this wasn't only about the leaders doing whatever it took to get rid of Jesus, but this is also about who sinners prefer over the real Jesus. They wanted a different Jesus. They wanted Jesus Barabbas. They wanted a worldly leader rather than a spiritual leader. 
If they were to release anyone, it had to be someone that would profit the people. Remember, they wanted a worldly Messiah. They wanted someone who would overthrow Rome for them. And they would say to themselves, probably in this way, See, Barabbas was a man of action. He's a hero of the people. He stood up to the man. He had courage. He did something about our current problems. What did Jesus ever do besides heal some folks and preach to us about sin and how we need to repent? Jesus was too concerned about making me feel guilty about my sins. Telling me to be prepared because the kingdom of God was coming. See, but Barabbas is a man of the people. And he was willing to kill our enemies while this guy was telling us to pray for our enemies. Can you believe that? What did Jesus ever do for us? At least Barabbas will do something about our current worldly situation. See, at the heart of it, this was a struggle between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of the next. It's the same choice that Israel made when they told Samuel to give them a king like the other nations. And in reality, God revealed that they rejected him because they didn't want God to be their king. They rejected God, and here they rejected their God and only Savior for a worldly leader who may fight a worldly war for them with temporary results rather than eternal. But this is also a temptation for the church and for Christians today, isn't it? How often are we tempted to trade the heavenly Jesus for a worldly Jesus? I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that the church is not doing enough or isn't saying enough or, uh, about our current worldly problems, that we're too hung up on spirituality, sin, hell, and all this salvation stuff. That Christianity is too weak. The church is too weak. What about stirring people up for action in the world? What about rallying people up to stand up to the man? My temptation is usually to respond the way Nathan responded to David. You are that man. They ask, what about the Jesus who was a rebel? Well, there is a Jesus in the Bible who was a rebel. But it wasn't Jesus the Christ. It was Jesus Barabbas. And just like them, we have a choice to make. They wanted a different type of Jesus. Sinners always want a different type of Jesus. We want a Jesus that will suit our desires. Who will affirm us in our frustrations with the world. We want a Jesus who will call us to hate our enemies rather than love our enemies. We want a Jesus who will secure our worldly comforts rather than grant us heavenly and spiritual comfort. They wanted worldly political freedom, but not spiritual freedom. The Pharisees always wanted to overthrow Rome and gain independence for Israel. Remember, to them the Messiah was supposed to be a political liberator. But they wanted independence for all the wrong reasons. So that they could rule themselves without God. Time and time again, God sent his people an anointed servant to rule them. And they rejected God's rule. Folks, that is in the heart of every man. It is in the heart of every man to be free from God's rule. It began in the Garden of Eden with one choice, to overthrow God from his throne. 
Here, like Adam and Eve, they wanted to make up their own rules. So they chose Jesus Barabbas rather than Jesus the Christ. Listen today. People would much rather hear from someone who will promise to liberate them from their worldly enemies rather than hear from the one who will liberate them from their own sin, death, and Satan and then finally liberate them from their worldly enemies. Listen to all the political radicalization going on in our nation today. Coming from the right and the left. You have false teachings of critical race theory. Woke ideology on one side. And the false teaching of Christian nationalism on the other. I believe the Christian is called to boldly and unapologetically reject both systems of thought. We need to tune out and change the channel so that we may hear the voice of our Savior. It's really sad when we see Christians tend to listen to the guys on the radio and on the TV more than they listen to their own Bibles. We listen to big name influencers and personalities rather than the person we should be listening to. And we just join these crowds. So when Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. Just a week before he had crowds around him hailing him as king. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now he hears shouts, crucify him. And Pilate, again seeing that Jesus was innocent, said to them, Why? What evil has he done? No answer. Instead, they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Unfortunately, with this event, we see Pilate's true colors come out, showing us that he was not the hero of the story. He is not the savior of this story. In fact, this story is here to show us how everyone around Jesus were sinners and that he stood alone as the innocent one among the guilty and the only hero and savior of this story. Just like all men were there in the Garden of Eden applauding when Adam and Eve took and ate the forbidden fruit, we were all there with them shouting, Crucify him! We were all there rejecting his rule. It says, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. In Matthew's account, it says that he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Pilate failed to act on his conscience. He was just another corrupt politician. He wanted to avoid a riot at the hands of the people. So he released Barabbas and sent Jesus away to be scourged. For Rome, to scourge someone was not just a beating or a whipping. It involved two men on either side of Jesus while he was tied to a post. Each had a leather whip with nine tails and each tail would have pieces of metal and bone that would tear the flesh so deeply that the damage done would reveal muscle and organs. 
Many times prisoners did not survive the scourging, never mind the crucifixion that would follow. It was a brutal punishment for one who committed no crime, who was guilty of no sin. This was to fulfill what it says of the suffering servant. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. But beloved, even with all the evil that we see in this text, let us not neglect to recognize the love of our Heavenly Father for us here. Let us not neglect to recognize the love of our Savior and what this means for us. Barabbas, who was indeed guilty of murder and deserving of death, was released while Jesus, who was completely and perfectly innocent of all sin, took his place. He would receive what Barabbas deserved. A sinner was released while the only sinless one was condemned. Because the all-consuming question that we should ask is, why did he suffer this way? Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. We are Barabbas in this story. We deserve the wrath that Jesus would take on himself. But we were released while Jesus was bound and died in our place. God chose his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Pilate was used as a tool in God's hands to bring about the salvation of sinners. And God's grace screams louder out of this page than the crowd who shouted, crucify him. And just like Barabbas, because of Christ who was innocent but treated as guilty, we who are guilty will be treated as innocent. And Pilate delivers him to be crucified. What does this mean? It means he took on the covenant curses we deserve. In fact, he became accursed. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So beloved, place your faith in this Christ. Look to him for your salvation. Look to him for your righteousness. We have nowhere else to turn. Who are you going to choose? A worldly Jesus? A worldly Savior? A Jesus who will free you from your temporary cares or the true Savior who will liberate you from your worst enemies, yourself, death, and Satan. They saw the brute and worldly strength of Barabbas. They thought that worldly freedom is what they needed. And Christ, crucified, became a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.23. Because it was weakness that they saw in Jesus. When they saw him standing there, tried and condemned, and scourged, ripped to pieces, they saw weakness, and they rejected him. But they rejected their only way of salvation, which was founded in weakness. We can say with Paul, where is the one who is wise? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. We often seek what is wise to the world, don't we? We seek the victory and glories of the world. We reject that which seems weak to the world. We often run from taking up our cross. Let us take this moment to recognize our own faults and failures while we reject Christ for a worldly Jesus and repent and turn to a rejected, scourged, weak, and crucified Messiah. Because he is our only strength and hope. And at the same time, remember that he is indeed raised. And he is our ascended king. And let us pray that the spirit would help us to submit to his kingly authority over us. Amen.